We're grateful tonight. We're going to continue with our series on deception. And how many people were really blessed last week? Um, Pastor Gail has been getting lots of texts and calls from everybody, just highlighting different parts of the sermon um, that just really resonated with them. And we're going to pick up on that tonight. But Father, we thank you just for another opportunity to come into your presence We thank you for just your favor that's already here. And we open up our hearts, God. We prepare uh, good ground for the word to fall on. I thank you for your precious anointing that is in this place. I thank you for your presence that is here. And I pray right now that the Holy Spirit that is inside of all of us will come alive, will be alert, will bear witness to everything that is spoken tonight, that he would lead and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So talking about <clears throat> deception, and Tank, if you can put the definition up there. <clears throat> I always give a definition because I feel like in the English language and Western church, we're so used to hearing things that the true meaning of what they mean can be lost. It, it can just kind of blend in with whatever it is that we think it means. And so to deceive means to cause someone to believe something that is not true, typically in order to gain some personal advantage of a thing, give a mistaken impression, fail to admit to oneself that something is true, to wander or to lead astray. I really like that definition because I feel like when many of us fall into deception, it's not so much a fall. It's not so much something that you just fall upon and it just happens, but it's usually the process of being led and wandering away from a foundational truth. It's usually something that you don't know is happening until the effects of it fall on into your life. And so usually when we're deceived, it's a process of us trading truth for something else. The enemy, every time I've ever really been deceived, he never just came right in and took what I believe to be true and removed it. It was usually him slowly chipping away at foundational truths that had anchored me into right thinking. And so usually when we're deceived, It's a process where you kind of start gravitating away from things that you know to be true, things that had always been true. It's where we're, even in this day and time, I'm seeing it more and more, where the more that we take in culture, where we're taking it in through television, we're taking it in through social media, we're taking it in through conversations, all of those things are slowly chipping away at the truth, especially if all of those activities are replacing a prayer line life and replacing uh, conversations with God or healthy relationships, if you're not bouncing any of these new thoughts and ideas off of the Holy Spirit before you know it, you're now deceived and you usually don't know you're deceived until something jacks you up, until the fruit of whatever you've taken in doesn't look like what you thought to be true. Then you start to say, now what's happened? When I believe this, this wasn't happening. So what's going on in my life? And so tonight, we're going to start there. I want you to go to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. And it says... 
Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and listen, I want to highlight this because I've heard this preached. And I've heard it um, preached in reference in verse 15 where it says the love of the Father is not in him. It's preached in a way where God won't come into an unclean temple and God won't live inside of someone that loves the world. But the reality is you only have so much space. So if you've occupied that space with the love of other things, where can he fit if he really wants to be there? This is all your decision at the end of the day, whether the love of the Father abides in you or not, because love is reciprocal. You have to understand that it's not that he does not want to be there, but if you've uh, filled his place with other voids and other things, where is he going to be? And so when it talks about um, if anyone loves the world and the things of the world, that the love of the father is not in him, it's because you've occupied his space with other affections and other things. And so in verse 16, it says, for all that is in the world, The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the father, but is from the world. Verse 17, the world is passing away and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Listen, if any deception or any fall is going to come into your life, remember we talked about gateways last week. They're going to come through one of these gates, either the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. And listen, I have heard this taught so many times, but like most things, in order to give it your full attention, you really got to break down what it means. So in verse 16... The lust of the flesh is desires of human nature. And I want you to write this down if you are taking notes. The lust of the flesh is desires of human nature. Only things that fall under human nature. Things that our humanity craves for. Sensual things. Things that only humans really want and and desire. Listen, we are housed in a body that has senses. And so when it talks about the lust of the flesh, it talks about things that we as human beings crave after. When you lose sight of your kingdom identity, you fall prey to human nature. And and we always consider lust as something just sexual. It's not just sexual. It's when you don't have control over your emotions. You don't have control over your mouth. You don't have control over your thoughts. You don't have control over the things that have been put in your care. This is what the lust of the flesh is. Then the lust of the eye is the mind's eye and vision. It is things that are soulish and sensual. Listen, our eyes are the gateway to the soul. Have you ever looked at somebody or talked to somebody, especially us spiritual people and people that are prophetic? They could be smiling and laughing and talking, but when you look into their eyes, you see sadness or you see sorrow or you see weariness. Listen, you can hide a lot of things, but you can't hide what the eyes betray. Even plastic surgeons talk about how when people undergo plastic surgery and they undergo all of these different things and they can change 
change their whole face, but it's something about the shape of the eye that does not change. Listen, if you look at Michael Jackson, look at him in his later years, the years before he passed away after this man had done any and everything to himself. He done chopped off his nose and put, I mean, it was like just two nostrils left pretty much. Just This man had just changed everything about himself. Y'all, it was just two nostrils sitting right here. It wasn't nothing else. I'm like, you can breathe. I mean, you can breathe, Mike. You can smell everything because there's nothing hindering. The, the, listen, he changed everything else about himself. But if you look at pictures of him, the shape of his eyes is still the same. It's still the same eyes. The eyes, something about the eyes can can bear witness with what is inside of us. And the Bible says that the lust of the eyes is literally the mind's eye. It is our imagination. It is the mental vision. It is when you are allowing yourself to be ruled by what you see, what you take in. And again, this is not just all sexual. It's when we're supposed to walk by faith and we're supposed to live by faith, but we're allowing ourselves to be swayed by what we see and moved by what we see. Everything that we see, we take it in. It's almost as if our eyes betray us before our ears do. And so the lust of the eyes is the mind's eye and the vision. Again, remember that we're made up of three parts, that we are body, soul, and spirit. Your soul is literally connected to your mind. And so the power of what happened when the lust of the eyes is in effect, then talking about the pride of life, Um, This falls under the Greek word braggadocio, to be braggadocious, to brag, self-confidence of this present state of existence and livelihood. I need y'all to hear this. Present self-confidence and bragging of this present state of existence and livelihood. Remember that we are eternal beings, that we are literally here and we are peculiar people. Our sense of affection and our sense of focus should always be with the kingdom that we reside from in mind. And so when you're talking about the pride of life, it is when you trade your kingdom focus for an earthly focus, for this present state for this world. Listen, I understand that we live here and we have to occupy here and we have to be here, but it's possible to live here, to occupy here and be here, but still be aware of the kingdom that you operate from. And so when deception comes in, the enemy is looking for one of these gateways. He's looking to tempt you. I want you to think about the last stupid thing that you did. Just the last, just the last one. You ain't even go, gotta go back to the last five. But I want you to think about the last stupid thing that falls under deception and tell me that it doesn't fall under either the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. You tell me that it wasn't a gateway that brought you to that point. When deception enters our life, its gateway is usually found in one of these. You see, deception is nothing new. It's been here from the origin. Truth was here from the beginning. And deception was the key ingredient in the fall of man. Listen, if truth was here from the beginning, 
deception found its way in. This is how the fall took place. This is how we're in this position. This is why we're not living in a garden draped in leaves and and just eating bananas and laying by the river and chilling, not having to work, not having to get up Monday through Friday. This is why, because God created us to live in peace and for him to provide everything and for us to be in constant fellowship with him. But Adam and Eve turned this thing out for us. And before you get mad and Adam and Eve, I'm pretty sure we got some Adam and Eves up in here. I was Eve at one point, okay? All of us was, and it's usually through this gateway. And so I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. God is freeing many of us tonight. And listen, I I hate to break it to you. But in every last single one of us, there lies some portion of either deception or areas where we are void of truth. If we all had it all together, listen, we people, um, the human mind is layered I need you to understand we are comprised of layers of experiences all the way from our childhood up until this point. There are things that we are housed with. There are things that we carry that we don't even know. And God in his mercy takes us through processes where he reveals them. He can't just drop it all on us at once. But it's like this is part of our journey with God where he leads us and he directs us. Uh, Part of the function of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about in a minute it is to lead and guide us into all truth why would you need to be led into truth if deception was not a reality I'm trying to tell y'all it's been moments where God has had to reveal things to me on this side of salvation and on this side of being full of the Holy Spirit. Well, he'll say, no, you're wrong about that. No, let me show this to you. Let me open up your eyes to this. And what it does is it seals your relationship with him even tighter where you start to see just how much you need him. Because on your own, you're going to fall prey to something deceiving. And so in Genesis chapter 3, it says, now the serpent was more crafty. And I'm reading out of the New American Standard. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent in verse 2, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now listen, in verse 1 when the the serpent starts off, he said, did God really say, let me tell y'all something, no good conversation comes after did God really say. 
Every time we find ourselves trading the truth of the Holy Spirit or trading the truth that comes from God, it usually starts with the did God really say. Remember I said that it's usually deception comes when we wander or we're led astray piece by piece and step by step. But it's not just one thing coming in saying, no, that ain't the truth. No, that's wrong. No, it's usually did God really say? Did God really say that you're supposed to prosper? Did God really say that you shouldn't be doing this or doing that? Did God really give you this dream or this vision? Did God really say set yourself apart? Did God really say usually when we start to question something that we know God has spoken to us or we begin to question experiences that we have with the father is usually the voice of deception saying, did it really happen? Did God really say, is this really truth? No good conversation follows, did God really say? Then he goes on to say in verse 1, you shall not eat from any tree. See, the word any is loaded. Because I've heard it taught and I've heard people highlight that he asked about the specific tree that they were not to eat from. But see, the enemy is so cunning. He said any tree because he was trying to test how much she knew. He was trying to test what he'd heard. He knew what God had said to them, but he was trying to test her knowledge. And usually when the enemy is looking to lower the boom and to give the final thing that gets you away from truth that you know, he starts off testing what you do know. And so he, he baited her with, did he say any tree? He's trying to see if she's going to fess up to what she knows. And because Eve could not perceive what was going on, she said, well, he said from the fruit of the trees in the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it. See, when you start to get into conversation with anything that is challenging the truth and the direction and the guidance that you know, listen, she was in full on conversation with this joker. It wasn't even her saying, no, this is what he said and this is the end of it. You know, they just sitting there chilling in the garden, a breeze is blowing. He always finds us in a comfortable state. He finds us in a place where we're relaxed and we're just enjoying ourselves and he comes as a friend or he comes as as not an intimidating voice, but just let me conversate with you a little bit. I know conversate ain't a word, but everybody black says, so y'all gonna say it tonight. He was in there to conversate with Eve. And he said to her, Did he say any tree? Did he say any tree? And she said, no, we can eat from all of these trees except the one in the middle of the garden. And when she gave what was truth, when she gave what was the command, that is what he attacked. 
That is the thing that he focused on because he was trying to see how much she knew. See, he's always trying to see what is really anchoring you. He's trying to see what is the foundational truth that is keeping you in the place that God wants you to be in. And when he finds out what it is that's anchoring you, he always goes after what is anchoring you. He is always fighting the thing that is keeping you in place and fighting the thing that is keeping you on the right track. He's not worried about these miscellaneous truths but he's going after what is keeping you in the place that God has you in he's going the thing that is keeping you anchored and so he said the serpent said to the woman in verse 4 you surely will not die for God knows that in the day you eat from it your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil isn't he so cunning That he gave her the truth. He said, you're not going to die. Surely you're not going to die a physical death. But the thing about deception is that it brings you to a place where it doesn't just deceive you about the right or wrong of a thing. But like I said last week, it is trying to deceive you about the outcome of what your choices will bring. It is trying to deceive you about the consequences and the circumstances that follow the decision. Yeah, we know right or wrong, but in our mind, the says, well, it ain't going to be as bad as what you thought. It ain't going to be as bad as what they told you. It ain't going to be as bad as what the Bible say, because you got grace and you got mercy to cover you. But let me tell you something. Grace and mercy may cover our sins and it may secure our salvation. But listen, it does not always cover the consequences of your decisions. It does not always cover the circumstances of your decisions. And so... When we begin to decide through deception, we're usually deceived about just how long we'll end up in sin that we're tampering with. Or we end up deceived about just how far this thing is going to take us. We have it in our mind that we're going to have fun for just a little minute. And then we look up 10 years later and we've spent most of our life bound by something and held down because he ain't going to tell you how long he's going to keep you. He's just going to tell you what what God didn't say. He's going to distort the truth. And anytime he would ask her, did he say any? This is the beginning of distortion. It is how he plays on words. It is how he causes your mind to think. And we don't have enough Holy Spirit to shut this thing down. We get into conversation when the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, shut it down. Shut it down. You know where this is leading you. You feel the lust of your flesh rising up and you still in conversation with this thing. And before you know it, you look up and you're in pain and you're suffering and you're experiencing what he didn't tell you would happen when he got in conversation asking you about some trees what truth used to anchor you what truth does anchor you let me tell you something I have experienced things in my life that were earth shattering, that were where I found myself in moments saying, God, are you real? Like this, listen, if you don't go through anything 
If you don't go through anything at a point in your walk with the Lord where you question his existence, where you question what he really cares about, listen, get ready. Because it's gonna, he's, he's gonna bring you to the point in his testing where everything that he ever was and everything that he wants to be will be the thing that anchors you. In my lowest moments where I said, God, are you really real and do you really care? He would bring me back to moments where I could feel his love, where I had been rescued and redeemed, where I was at my lowest point. And I said, listen, I don't know what's going on right now. I don't know why life is like this, but I do know you real. I don't know who you are. And until you have those moments... You open yourself up for deception until you really come to know the reality of who God is. He's after whatever is anchoring you. I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke. All error and digression in our lives is the result of a lack of truth. When truth is not present, there is a void. That void is readily filled by something. It's either filled by truth, deception, or ignorance. We were created to house truth. This is who God is. This is his nature. Everything about him is true. Everything that he speaks happened. There is no lie in him. He can't even lie because whatever he speaks comes into existence. He is truth, every part of him. He created us to know truth. This is why he gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is key. And John 16 and 13 says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Somebody say all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. This is the function of the Holy Spirit. I have been in seasons where I had walked in deception, where I had made choices and I knew that I was deceived. But again, it's it's about being in a position where you don't really understand the outcome of your decisions. You know you're doing wrong. You know you're doing things that goes against the nature of God. And listen, this ain't even always about a sin issue. Sometimes it's a lazy issue. Sometimes it's a procrastination issue when God is dealing with you about vision and dealing with you about purpose and dealing with you about potential and you sit there in unbelief you sit there thinking that you can't accomplish something when he's speaking something over you listen these are all of the things it's not just always sin 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 and let me tell you sin means to fall short of the standard and the standard is Christ the standard is Jesus it is when we fall short of anything that he is his example and what he is speaking over you And so the Holy Spirit's job is to guide us and lead us into a place of truth, is to constantly direct us to speak over us, but it takes fellowship. Listen, he's not going to just come in and knock down your door and tell you all of these things, but it, it takes opening yourself up and beginning to speak to him. I'll never forget when I started to build um, a prayer life and build fellowship with the Father and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. 
it was so foreign to me at first. I, I ain't even going to lie to y'all. And I wish, I wish more people were transparent enough to be honest. I would sit in my room talking and I would always feel like, who am I, ta- what am I talking to? Ain't nobody in here saying nothing. Like, this is weird. You know, this, this is so weird. I'm just sitting here talking. And then a couple, this was during the time that um, my sister would come home from school and she was rude. And so, you know, she would come busting in the room while I'm in there talking, and she was very rude. Sometimes she would creak the door and just be sitting in there. And I would think, now, we grew up in the same house in the same church. I know you ain't living right, but you should have enough reverence for when I'm praying to know how to come up in this room. And so she would be sitting in there like this in the door, listening to my secret prayers. And then when it would just get to the point that I felt a little less weird and a little less uh, comfortable, you know, I felt comfortable, she would bust in what's going on in here and then it's just like now you sitting in there like um okay I already felt awkward and so when you're building a prayer life with God and when you're building something real with him it feels a little foreign at first because you're not used to it you see the love of the world is still inside of you in many ways we never feel uncomfortable when we're doing dirt When we sitting up doing something crazy or entertaining something crazy or, you know, we never feel weird even when we're just taking in regular entertainment or just talking to regular people. But something about when you're building something with God, there's a voice that says, this is strange. This is weird. You just in here talking. Ain't nobody talking back. Or even when you think that you hear something, well, was that really God? That sound like you. Is that you talking to yourself? You imagining things now. But listen, there came a point in my consistency. In my consistency. And my willingness to trade certain things for other things that I kept going. Even if the conversations were only three minutes long and then they graduated to five minutes long and then they graduated to ten minutes long and then they graduated to an hour and they graduated to him speaking back to me. Listen, this thing is a gradual thing because what you're doing when you're building a relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, you're chipping away at the love of the world that is inside of you and you're starting to replace it with the love of the father and this thing takes time where your affections begin to change where your affections trade and you find yourself craving this voice and craving this guidance and craving this attention and it's not weird anymore what becomes weird is when you're not doing it and when you're not hearing from him and when you're not speaking to him and when he's not speaking back then you start to feel the void you start to feel how things should really be when you come consistently see the issue of some of us is our consistency is he consistently hearing from you because I promise you God has a lot to say God desires to speak to you. God desires for you to know him. This ain't just something for pastors and leaders. This is something for all of us. Where is your consistency with him? I want you to go to Luke 4. There's a Nigerian proverb. And it says, the death that will kill a man begins as an appetite. 
The death that will kill a man begins as an appetite. Verse 1 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say full. Full of the Holy Spirit. This is after he had been baptized in the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit descended on him. And, you know, he got the go ahead. This is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. And after he'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says he returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit into the wilderness. Listen, sometimes you can get in the wilderness of your own doing, but when the Spirit leads you into the wilderness. Listen, this is for a time of testing. This is for a time of refinement. This is when he's preparing you for the next thing. How many people can honestly say you've experienced a wilderness this year in 2020? That's because he's preparing some of us for things that we could not even imagine and we could not even fathom. And it feels like um, frustration or it feels like moments of heaviness, but it's because God is refining you to take you to the next place. And so the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. And it says, for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. Now listen, I've done a lot of um, studying on fasting because I intermittent fast different days of the week. And when I first started studying on fasting, I felt like, God, you know, you can ask me to do anything, but I I don't want to fast. Like, I'm just going to be honest. Now, I like to eat and I don't like to be hungry. Okay. Like, those are just two things that don't go together, you know. And so I was just like, God, I don't want to be fasting. And so, but I started doing studying on fasting because I was like, I can't be at work and just faint or something because it'll be embarrassing if I wake up and they're like, you ain't eat nothing. And so I had to... So I had to study this thing to figure out how to do it safely. And so as I began to study on fasting, the truth of the matter is, you know, when we talk about Jesus fasting 40 days, people have always made it this supernatural thing. Like he was just supernaturally not hungry. He was supernaturally not hungry. You can get to a point. And training yourself fasting to where your body is so used to it that after a period of two weeks, like if you fast for two weeks, people that have gone on 30-day or 40-day fast, they'll tell you after two weeks the hunger pains stop because the hunger pains are not really hunger pains, but they're your body breaking down all of the toxins and all of the things, and it feels like hunger, But it's really your body ridding itself of the toxins. And it's like after a certain period, it's different for everyone. Now, you know, if you got a bunch of steaks in there, it may take you a little bit longer. But it's different for everybody to at a certain point, you have no more hunger pains and you're not really hungry. And so when it says that Jesus, after a period of 40 days, then he was hungry, our bodies literally train us on when it's ready to eat. So if you're mistaking detox pains for hunger, it takes a trained person who understands fasting to know the difference. And so the Bible says that the whole 40 days that he was in the wilderness, 
the enemy was there to tempt him. We've usually taught it that Jesus was just out there 40 days and the devil left him alone until this point. But the Bible says he was tempting him the whole time. But then after he was hungry, the Bible says after he was hungry, this particular point is when the enemy came. It's something about appetite and it's something about what draws you in. There's a um, passage in Proverbs, and I wish that I had written it down. Oh, I did write it down. Proverbs 27 and 7. It says, one who is full loathes honey from the comb, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. This, this passage that Solomon wrote is pretty much saying that when you're full and when you've eaten, eaten to your full, I mean, when you've eaten until you can't eat anymore, if somebody puts cake in front of you, if they put your most favorite thing in front of you, it makes you squeamish. It makes it to the point that you just don't want anything else because you're already full. But he's saying that when a person is hungry, even something bitter tastes sweet. If you don't get control over your your appetite, if you don't get control over your hunger, you'll find yourself in a place where you will just take in anything. And so here it is at this moment that the enemy sees that Jesus is now hungry, that he's gone the full stretch, that it's been 40 days, and that he's now at a position where he's hungry. And so the devil says to him in verse three, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. In verse five, and he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him in verse 6, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whoever I wish. In verse 7, therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for him from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you should not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it is said, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, somebody say every temptation. He left him until an opportune time. Remember that I said at the beginning of this message that when the enemy is looking to deceive you, looking to trap you, looking to bring you to a point of deception, that he's going to come through the three gateways, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I want you to pay attention to the things that he even tempted Jesus with. He came to him and he just in his same fashion, because listen, if it's working, why are you going to change it? Listen, he brought down all of humanity 
by questioning the truth that God had presented. And he tried the same thing with Jesus. He first attacked his identity. And the problem for many of us is that we're not quite like Jesus, where we know who we are, where we know what God has spoken over us. He told him, he said, if you're the son of God, because if Jesus did not know that he was the son of God, all of these things would have been an option for him. He would have been responding to temptation. But the truth of who you are anchors you even in moments where who you are is really being challenged. And so the first thing that he did was say, I know a little bit of truth about you. I know who they say you are and I know who you are. But if you're all of those things, why don't you show me this? Why don't you show me that you're able to do this? See, he don't come with all lies. He usually starts with a little bit of truth. And what he does is he begins to distort the truth. And so he said to Jesus, he waited to a moment. You got to remember at the end of this passage, it said he left, but he waited for another opportune time. Listen, he viewed this as an opportunity opportune time. Why? Because hunger was present. And when your appetite is out of control and hunger is present, just like Proverbs said, when appetite is an issue and you're hungry, even something bitter tastes sweet. And many of us have not put ourselves in a position to where our appetite is in check. And so we're feasting on bitter things, things that are taking us down and things that have us in a position where we're immobile. And so he picked a time where after 40 days of going after Jesus and bothering him and tempting him. There was no conversation. But in this moment, the Bible says that Jesus was hungry. And this was the time that appetite meant everything. Listen, this isn't a moment where you can train it. It needs to already be trained. It needs to already be in check by your consistency, by your fellowship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. This ain't a moment to get in training. It has to already be in place because he's looking for an opportune time and he's found an opportune time with many of us where we're in a position where we're in conversation and he's questioning us on truth but he has more truth than we do and so he's coming to us and he's distorting the little bit that we know and we find ourselves in a place to where he's challenging the identity of God on your life what has God spoken to you about you What has God told you concerning who you are? Because that's the first thing he's going to attack. That's the first thing that he's going to come after. Because for many of us, listen, I am against telling people what they shouldn't be doing. I'm against telling people who they're not. But I'm for telling you who you are. Because if you know who you are, you'll know everything that you're not. And you'll know everything that you shouldn't be doing. Something about identity anchors you. Anything that is outside of what God has spoken on your life, nobody got to tell you not to do it you know that it is foreign to who you are you know that it is foreign to your nature you know that it is foreign to your purpose you know that it is foreign to your path when you have a relationship with the father and he's speaking identity not any and everything goes if it does not fall under the truth of what he said and so right here in this moment right here in this moment and you guys can stand to your feet The devil is in full conversation with Jesus. Listen, he got all these temptations lined up. 
He said, if one don't work, I'm going to try something else. Because look, look, he's looking for a gate because for all of us, one of those things work. The lust of the flesh. Listen, if he can't get you to sleep with somebody you shouldn't be sleeping with, he can get you to cuss them out. Oh, that's a lust of the... The lust of the flesh. If he can't get you with the lust of the flesh, he can get you with the pride of life. Where everything you you think about is consumed with this present existence. There is nothing kingdom. There is nothing vertical in your thinking. It is all this world and the things of this world. And remember, the Bible says this world and its desires is fading away. It is constantly fading. It is constantly one affection leaving. It's no longer on trend. It's no longer the thing. There's something else new. There's a new lust. There's a new path. It's constantly changing. But the things of God are always the same. They are unmovable. The values of the kingdom do not change. And so here he is. Challenging Jesus. First, he he challenges him all through his identity, all through what God has spoken. You you have to remember this is the moment where Jesus has come from the Jordan. He's been publicly affirmed as the Son of God, on who God was well pleased. And the devil used the same truth to try to get him to prove who he was. If you be the son of God, turn the stone into bread. And Jesus answered him with the word. He answered him with truth. He answered him with anchoring truth that the father had spoken. Then he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. The Bible says in a moment of time, he showed him every kingdom in the world. And he offered it to him. He said, if, if you worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms and all the people if you worship me. And Jesus answered him again. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then, this is what I love. Because if you don't think that you're not being studied, you're wrong. He's going to find what you like. And he's going to find how you fight back. And he's going to find how you operate. And that third one, he knew it was going to be one of the last. And so he responded to Jesus. And he tempted Jesus. And he gave him a command. He said, throw yourself off of here. Because the word says... He said, it's written that his angels, his angels will rescue you. You see, he knew that Jesus was fighting back with every command and everything that was written and what was true. But his job was to try to distort this truth to get Jesus into a place where he traded his identity for something else. 
And many of us are in a place and we're in a season to where not only is God anchoring the truth inside of us, but he's bringing us out of uh, deceptive patterns. And these deceptive patterns start with the reality of who you really are. Some of us just don't know who we are. And I'm not, I'm not talking about just having self-confidence and self-esteem. I'm talking about your kingdom position, how heaven views you. How heaven looks at you before you were even here in the earth. You were known by heaven. You were known by God. He literally deposited parts of himself inside of us and said, now go and be this. This is a part of me that I've invested in you and I need you in the world and in the earth to be this. And some of us are just living day to day. We ain't even happy. We ain't even happy. We just living day to day with no relationship. Why join the club and not get any of the benefits? You in the Christianity club, but you're not benefiting from the spirit that is inside of you. And I'm telling you, that is no way to live out of fellowship with him. Because this world is full of confusion and is full of chaos and life can be good today and horrible tomorrow. But your anchor is found in your fellowship and your relationship with the father. Everything will come to question your identity. It will come to question your authority. It will come to question your effectiveness and your power. But when you are in fellowship with him. All life flows from there.